Hello, and welcome back to the Cake and Batter podcast. Uh, this is Cole, and I'm here with Jake, as always. What's up, everybody? And we didn't give a rating for Hateful Eight, so before we move on to our movie that we're going to talk about today, I think we should at least give a rating for The Hateful Eight. So, uh, Jake, what would you rate The Hateful Eight as? A solid 9 out of 10. Yeah, I could agree with that. It's a solid 9 out of 10. Would you recommend the movie? I highly recommend the movie to not only to film buffs, but to anyone who likes a good whodunit movie. Yeah, I agree with that as well. So, there is our rating for The Hateful Eight. And we're sorry that we're so late on that. Uh, we realized that we were a bunch of dunces and we didn't give the rating like we said we would. So, we're sorry about that. But, to make up for it, we're going to be talking about another Tarantino movie. Yes, we are. Today, we are going to be talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which actually came out, as of recording right now, it came out last Friday. And I hope everyone saw it, and I hope you contributed to the 40-plus million dollars that it made in its first weekend, a career best for Tarantino, which I am very happy about. So, uh, for people who haven't seen The Hateful Eight, and for some reason, or not Hateful Eight, sorry, my bad. For people who haven't seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and are somehow still watching this podcast, despite the fact that we are going to be going into spoilers throughout the entire thing, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood follows Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt. Leonardo DiCaprio plays an actor by the name of Rick Dalton, who shoots westerns in the early 70s during Hollywood's big TV boom era. 1969. 1969, yeah. Oh, see. I didn't read up, apparently. Anyways, um, Leonardo DiCaprio plays an actor by the name of Rick Dalton, who does Western TV show type stuff, and he's nearing the end of his career. Brad Pitt plays his stunt double, who's been with him throughout the entire time, and they both kind of struggle with what they want, what they're trying to do, as you know, westerns are kind of fading out of existence. And uh, also coinciding with that plotline, you also uh, follow Margot Robbie as Sharon Tate basically just going throughout her day she doesn't have too much of a plot she just she just uh you're just following her as a character that is more of a characterization type thread than an actual plot line for her and this does kind of play into what happened to sharon tate in our reality as sharon tate was murdered by charles manson's cult yeah but the way that it plays out in the movie is different because tarantino likes doing alternate history things Yes, which uh, we will get to that later because that will actually be, I think, a big thing for us to talk about um, because of it being different than real life. But um, we'll save that until later because it's the end. So, Jake, what was your what are your just general thoughts about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? My general thoughts are mixed in a good way. So... When I talk to people and they say they usually they usually keep saying that they have mixed feelings about it. And I do as well, but when they say it they have mixed feelings like they say some good, some bad. I thought the film was brilliant. So my mixed feelings are about it are all good. I just I just saw it in a different way than most people because I liked I liked the fact that it was for two hours kind of about nothing, really. Um I liked that. But I also would have liked to see more. But I think it's I think it's a good thing that I wanted more out of it, you know? 
that's always the that's always the sentiment, right? Leave them wanting more, right? Yeah. I so I have mixed feelings, but I still think I still think it's a it's a brilliant film. I know you you uh you think a little bit differently than I do, don't you? Yeah, I have I kind of have mixed feelings about the movie. I, I liked the movie. Don't get me wrong, I thought the movie was fantastic. But for some reason I just felt like the movie was missing something. Like there was a specific like thing in the movie. I, I can't really put my finger on it, but I felt like the movie didn't have almost it like it didn't have enough. Because yeah. you, you spend the movie, like you said, you spend the movie following Rick Dalton and Brad Pitt's character, Cliff, Cliff Booth. Cliff Booth. And, like, that that was all good. I really like, like, Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt really nailed their characters for this film. I, re- I really agree with that. I think that. I think they had great chemistry, too, uh, as characters, you know. Yeah, and I can, I kind of see, like, you know... Margot Robbie's Sharon Tate throughout the movie, but it's like I feel like there wasn't like if since she was kind of an in almost in reality she's an integral part to this story. Um, you don't really hear her talk all that much, and I guess that it, it makes sense in the context of the film because Sharon Tate's not the main character. Yeah, but they don't really interact at all. I mean, you hear her say a couple lines, and she's like, "Oh, hi, hey, how, how are you doing? You know, oh, I'm in that movie." And I don't know for some reason when I was like during the scene where she was trying to get into the movie theater for being Sharon Tate, for some reason, part of me like it almost felt like she was like an imposter of sorts. What do you mean? Well, I mean, it's like it, it, it takes it takes Margot Robbie like a bit of convincing with the uh, with the people who are at the theater to get her in to see the movie in the first place. Yeah. And the picture on the poster, I'm assuming that's the actual movie poster. Yeah, it was. So and, uh, they they actually used the real Sharon Tate poster, which was yeah. interesting. Yeah, so it's like, at, and then and there, you know, I realized that that was actually Sharon Tate, and then I saw Margot Robbie. And it didn't, you know, it kind of resembles Sharon Tate. But for some reason, yeah. I just felt like, for some reason, I just felt like it was, like, almost like she wasn't Sharon Tate. But, I mean, I guess that's, like, a little bit of a nitpicky kind of thing. I think it was kind of a little bit of a meta nod, you know, using Maybe. using the actual posters, but it's being played by Margot Robbie as Sharon Tate. I think it was, I think it was kind of meta to do that. So I, I really didn't have a problem with it. Um, because I thought it was just kind of jabbing at the fact that this is a movie about movies. Yeah. What I, speaking of a movie about movies, what I really did like about the film is that they didn't really fuck around with, um, like, when they showed actual film in the movie. Oh. What do you mean? Well, I guess, like, aspect ratio was key with this film oh yeah yeah because you're watching films that play on four by three screens because that was the only screen that was there there wasn't a lot of widescreen stuff except for in movie theaters yeah so watching watching rick dalton's show watching um watching like you know the commercial at the end of the credits Mm -hmm. watching any of the other stuff that was there it was like the stuff right at the beginning yeah it was all it all felt real it didn't it didn't feel like 
you know, that was something that wasn't, that was just made for the movie. It felt like this was something that had actually aired and, you know, like the guy that, the Rick Dalton in there was like Leonardo DiCaprio's great-grandpa or something like that, you know? I, uh, you know, it's funny you mention that because actually I think that, um, you know, in, in ways it felt a lot of, it felt, it felt real. But, you know, these, the, the second, the second, uh, film stock that you see of uh rick dalton in his western on uh i think i think it was probably i think it was a clip from bounty law and he turns around and he shoots the guy on the roof and the guy falls and there's a wilhelm scream yeah that that got a chuck a lot of me. <laughs> that got like, a belly laugh out of me <laughs> i saw that i saw that with my friend my friend and i went and saw the movie together and um once we heard that wilhelm scream we both just looked right at each other and just grinned because it was like, <laughs> yup, that's something that would have happened. And it's like, and, you know, in, in normal movies, when you hear the Wilhelm scream, you know, you know that, like, that's just corny, cheesy, you know, garbage. But, you know, that's what he was going for in this movie, though. Yeah, and that's, but that's the thing, because the Wilhelm scream was, like, fairly kind of new. In, yeah. In uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So it was, inter- so it wasn't just interesting. It was almost like, Again, like you said with the Sharon Tate thing, it was almost like a meta nod to film as a medium. The funny I mean, thing we is, could, we could totally be blowing this out of proportion off of some goofy Wilhelm scream, but like as as filmmakers and film goers, you know, it's like that. That's something that made me smile. It made me smile too because, well, in I think like six out of out of the now nine films, there is a Wilhelm scream in six out of nine of Tarantino's films. Cause so I think he just loves that Wilhelm scream. I just think it's just goofy as all get out, you know. It it is goofy, and we're probably spending way too much time on a Wilhelm scream. But since we're talking about like you know, like one off and almost sort of symbolism kind of stuff. Yeah. One thing that I that I was talking about with my friend throughout the movie that really kind of. Uh, confused me a little bit until i put more thought into it and i can kind of justify it there was a lot of bare naked feet shots in this film you haven't seen all of tarantino's movies so that is nothing that is something new to you but it shouldn't be (laughs) wait till you see the rest of his movies so i guess either a tarantino really likes feet yeah which is yeah kind of strange but, yeah, uh, yeah. I get, I get it. I kind of saw it as almost symbolic in this concept because bare feet in my in when I saw the movie, bare feet symbolizes freedom, almost because you only see two people with bare feet in this movie. You see, well, I guess as I remember so far, the only people I saw with bare feet right up in my face, which really kind of creeped me out a little bit, was uh, the the hippie girl. Uh, yeah. she had bare feet and Sharon Tate also had bare feet which is like yeah, she had dirty this. feet too she had dirty feet in the movie theater uh, anyhow it's like the, so those people the, you know the the hippie girl she symbolizes like you know she's she's a hippie right we all know what hippies are about love freedom you know yeah that yeah sort of stuff so her having bare feet sets that tone or sets that symbol for you know not wearing shoes because you're not wear when you wear shoes you're you know you're confined to 
I don't know, covering up your freedom or something like that. I guess that's kind of how I try. To, that's how I try to justify it. I really don't want. I really don't want to know whether or not Tarantino has like an a affinity for yeah, an affinity for feet. I think you need to watch the rest of his films. That's what I think. <laughs> so I just tried to justify it in my mind because I was a little weirded out by that. Yeah, there, there's, there's a movie uh, from *Dust Till Dawn* that he, uh, he didn't write, but he's, but he, uh, or no, he did write, but he didn't direct it. Um, that he acts in and he sucks on Selma Hayek's feet. So. I getting think some, getting some real Dan Schneider vibes from <laughs> from this. So I think uh, I think you need to watch the rest of his films. Oh boy! But uh, maybe uh, he uh, I can see that as semblance, but I don't. But knowing knowing him, seeing all of his films, I don't think that's the case. He probably just did it for all the people who just really, really, really like feet. Probably he's. I mean, even even. Uh, because even with even with uh like feet with shoes on he still follows them he likes he likes those low ground foot shots you know yeah but there was a really cool shot though when when sharon tate's walking though and you just like follow her boots for like five minutes straight as she's walking down the strip it took a while that's that's actually a pretty cool shot though i like that I saw that the narration came back for like a single, like a single section of the film, and it a, was when a couple, was, yeah, it was it was it was in a couple parts of the film. But the one that stood out to me the most, that made me really laugh out loud, was when uh, DiCaprio or Rick Dalton lies about why he can't drive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then the voice comes on, and he's like, "That's a massive lie." <laughs> and that, I I liked that, but I wish I wish uh, if they were, he was gonna do that, there would have been more. Maybe there was more of that in his original four and a half hour cut that I would love to see, but um, he he only used it for that, and then later in the last like forty minutes he used it. Yeah. As uh, but I wish he would I wish he would have broke the fourth wall more because it felt like yeah. it deserved it. Um, what the, else was? I'll tell I'll tell you what though, the Fourteen Fists of McCluskey. I want to watch that movie. I know it doesn't exist, but I want to watch that movie. Yeah, I want to watch Leo burn some burn some sauerkraut. I want to watch was, that. That was that was hilarious. Because <laughs> it's like it cuts to him trying to use the flamethrower. He's like, is there is there any way to like turn this down? Yeah, he he's like, is there any is there any way to turn the heat down? Rick, it's a flamethrower. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> but yeah, that, yeah. but then it comes comes back later when he burn when he burns the the uh Chicken one of the yeah one of the he burns one of the killers in the pool with the yeah. with the flamethrower. I when he brought that flamethrower out, I lost it. Oh yeah, yeah I that lost was just, it. That was just hilarious. Like, I whole, I just like, did not expect the whole it. last second of the film or like the last couple minutes of the film are just like the best because it's and they kind of like allude they allude to like that scene more in the beginning of the film because they're talking about cliff booth's uh cliff booth killing his wife and yeah then there's the 14 fists of whatever mccluskey remember, of mccluskey yeah i'm gonna remember that because that's a great title yeah so there, there's that and that was crazy and then um that and, was just and not only that but uh that the the scene of Cliff feeding his dog kind of only exists as foreshadowing 
the final for, scene for the final scene yeah which which normally i would say okay it's kind of, it's kind of out of place but judging how the movie really is about nothing for two hours it, it did kind of fit so yeah. the way it was structured it was fine and it's also it's also interesting seeing like where Cliff lives versus where oh uh, yeah Rick lives in his little because trailer. You think, that, you think that Cliff, being a stuntman, doing all of these stunts for Rick Dalton in all of these movies, he's uh he would have a decent he would have a house, but he just ends up living in a trailer with his pit bull. Well, that's because uh if you remember, he's too old to do these to do the stunts now, and so no one will hire him. And uh, Rick just pays him to you know do his his handiwork and because, stuff. And because Rick and Rick and Cliff are just like the best of friends, and that's like, and that's Rick's trying to keep him you know keep him working, I guess, because he cares about him. The and and you kind you kind of see that when you know Cliff asks him if he can if he can do the stunts on uh what was it on, I think it was Lancer. Uh, yeah, it was the show where he plays the bad guy. But but uh, he can't because uh, the stunt coordinator f- from um, the Green Hornet, which yeah. they did, which they tried to do together, is the stunt coordinator on Lancer, who hates Cliff. And then that goes into the flashback of where that, you, where you where you kind of kind of wonder whether or not he killed his wife. Yeah, I like you know. It's it's funny because that whole scene has a flashback within a flashback, uh, which is funny. But um, the I like I like that scene. You know, before I say anything, what did you think of that scene with with Bruce Lee? I thought it was hilarious. You did. You oh, liked I, it. Oh, I I loved it. It was it was great. It was just a good scene. I thought it was great too, but I felt a little disrespect towards bruce really you think that tarantino didn't like bruce lee no i don't think that i i think tarantino probably loves bruce lee but i feel like the way he did his character was kind of dirty oh okay I kinda I, because because he f- i mean he felt like he felt like a big blowhard you know yeah but if 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 bruce lee was a big blowhard he wouldn't have stood up for cliff after they were done fighting that's the thing he didn't though. He was just he he didn't oh, no. stand he, up for he, him. He vouched for him because he was like because they were like what was going on? They thought that Cliff just beat the shit out of Bruce Lee, but Bruce Lee's like, "No, nah, we were just having a friendly challenge." Oh, well, that's was, Yeah, but that that was because Bruce didn't want anyone to know that he laid, laid a hand on him. I don't know. That I, that was it it was a it was a good scene though. I did I did like it. I just I I don't know. I would it just felt a little like weird the, to me. I feel like they spoiled the best part of that scene in the trailer. And whoever made the trailer, I'm just kind of disappointed with. Because oh, the yeah, best, yeah. One of the best lines in that scene is like, if I accidentally kill you, I'll go to jail. And then Cliff's like, if you accidentally kill anybody, you go to jail. It's called manslaughter. Yeah, they. unfortunately, I saw that line. I've heard that line so many times. I just, there was no laugh in me in the theater because I heard it so many times and I had already laughed. You know? Yeah. Uh... But, I mean, I feel like it. I feel like it kind of made up for it in the scene because, like, Bruce Lee gets thrown into a car, <laughs> yeah, and you don't and you don't expect that. So I feel like it kind of mellows itself out a little bit. What? What? Really? I'm not. I'm not happy that the trailer had that in there. 
what was really entertaining was uh when when he challenges cliff and uh and then he takes he takes his coat off and gives it to uh one of his buddies and he's like bruce you think you can take that guy he he's kind of famous around here and he's like for what and he's like the dude killed his wife and got away for it got away with it and, and bruce is like what <laughs> and that and then not 30 seconds later he throws him into a car yeah it's like a you know it's like a foreshadowing within a foreshadowing or whatever i uh, i i like the scene i just had i just had a few gripes with it but you know it's understandable as a as a whole what did you think of the first three quarters versus the last quarter of the film um because it's tonally it's a completely different film oh yeah definitely because like the way that tarantino has like from the other films that i've saw of tarantino they're very action-packed they're very like you know bloody and stuff like that. yeah they're non they're non-stop you're they're always doing something with fast pace whereas this is just kind of laid back and it's it's basically seinfeld for two hours yeah and you know that's that's an, it's interesting to you know kind of think about that kind of stuff you know um doesn't mean that i didn't like it i i actually really liked this movie i just for some reason you know like i said i had mixed feelings because i felt like the movie was the movie was um missing something yeah and i th- and i think and you know and i have to look at it objectively because it's not because it, not all of tarantino's movies don't have to be the same right you know so on its own i really liked the movie but compared to you know hateful eight and kill bill and pulp fiction it's it doesn't it's kind of a little bit under that yeah i i can see that i can see that um I mean, it's not it's not like it's number one for me, but I certainly I want to make I want to see it again before I make a judgment call on where I put it for his filmography, you know. But I do think it was very it was a very impressive film. What I loved watching, I loved watching Rick act. I loved when he was in Lancer, and the best scene in the movie to me was him was him forgetting his lines oh yeah and then he has his little freak out hands down that was like the best scene in the entire film yeah he's like can't we just go back can't we just go back come on let's go back and they (laughs) you know he wants to nail it and then you kind of see after his pep talk there's that scene where he's got the little girl and he's holding her and he throws her down, and then she whispers into his ear, that's the best acting I've ever seen. And then you realize that, you know, Rick got his stuff back together. Yeah, and, the, and, he, and he's written, and he, you see in his, in his eyes, he's just so happy, because he's like, finally some recognition again. He's got that high, you know, that he used to have. Exactly. So I think that was the best part uh, of the film. And what do you think? All right, here, here's what here's a question for you. Since we're still talking about characters, what did you think when um, Cliff went to the hippie camp? 
So I th- I saw that as kind of like the scene that turned the movie around. You know, it. You re- mean like set it up to be more. It fi- Yeah, it finally got the story rolling into a Tarantino story. You know, and because for that entire wasn't this, wasn't this before the scene that we were just talking about where uh, he does his lines. I, I don't remember. Was. I don't remember. Yeah, because when when Cliff was driving the girl to the hippie camp, yeah, she was. Um, he was also. Um, this is when. Uh, this is when Rick was doing his lines for Lancer. I I I honestly can't remember, but if it was, then it was. But either way. That scene still, it still got the ball rolling, you know? It got it, it it felt to me like this is where the plot is finally starting, you know? There was the little seed when you see, uh, when you see Charles Manson walk up to the Tate residence, uh, and, and Cliff sees him walk up there, and then... And then Roman Polanski runs out there, and he's like, what are you doing on my lawn? Who are you? You know, so you see Charles Manson for, like, a second, and that kind of plants the seed. And then when, yeah. and then later when he gets to the ranch, finally the ball starts rolling. That whole sequence, for me, was very tense. I thought yeah, Cliff well, wasn't yeah. going to make it out alive. I really didn't. I thought that the old man was dead. I... I had no I I had no idea. I honestly was expecting for him to just be missing. Not not necessarily be dead, but he just wasn't there, you know? Yeah. But I didn't think Cliff was going to make it out alive at all. And then you kind of see Cliff like assert his dominance among, among among the hippies by like just like beating the one dude senseless for slashing his tire. Yeah, that that's when I said, okay, here's my Tarantino. That's the Tarantino I know. You know, that that senseless violence. Um so when he and then when he bet he beat him up and then when he drove away, I was like, "Really? You're yeah. still alive?" You know, I didn't I didn't I didn't I really didn't think he was going to be getting out of there alive. I thought the rest of the movie was just going to be rick and sharon yeah rick and sharon upon a time in hollywood and i think that like i i don't know um what did you think see this is this is where like my my, one of my biggest gripes with the movie came in um was the end now the end was phenomenal don't get me wrong i loved every second of cliff just destroying those kids yeah and some of the special effects in that were just downright gnarly when he threw that can at the girl and her nose went into her face i was like Ugh. <laughs> i was like Ugh, that's nasty he threw that can and that she just fell to the floor like a fish yeah and just that whole scene was just Ugh. that was just peak tarantino it like, really was i was waiting I for like, that like on, on a form of violence, I think that that scene alone was better than uh, 
was probably better than some of the scenes in Hateful Eight for violence. Now, did it top the hanging scene from Hateful Eight? I don't know. It's up there, though. Like, they're, they're pretty neck and neck for me, if I'll be entirely honest. Especially with DiCaprio just using the flamethrower at the end. Yeah. <laughs> that was hilarious. That flamethrower almost matches... Oh, I, I think I shot Marvin in the face. It almost yeah. matches that. It almost matches shooting Marvin in the face from Pulp Fiction. Because yeah. you don't... Yeah, I, I had I had no idea he was it gonna was, just pull out a flamethrower. He just walks away, and then it cuts, and you see her screaming in the pool, and then he comes back and he's just got this big flamethrower, and he just torches he's like, yeah, her. See, they let me keep the flamethrower from fourteen fifths, fourteen fifths of McCluskey, of McCluskey, and I was like, huh, that's awesome. <laughs> and the thing, but but the the gripes I had with the movie were after that scene. The movie ended. I Did you think it was too this... abrupt? Yes. I thought it was way too abrupt. Because it's like I wanna know if Cliff gets better. I wanna see I wanna see I wanna make sure that Cliff's okay. I've only known the Italian wife for who knows how long. I don't even remember her name. You know, she's there for Francesca, like two minutes. Francesca, I think. Francesca. Like she comes out there, she sees the people, she screams, Cliff saves her, she goes back in with the dog, and then what? What, what was the point of her in the story? Because it could have just been them coming back. I guess. And, that, and the scene would have the scene would have changed a little bit, but it wouldn't have been it would have been relatively the same. I also thought that uh, I also enough. thought that DiCaprio dropping the boombox into the water was going to electrocute the girl before he killed her. Oh, you did. Before. Yeah. I it's did. Like dropping a, it's like dropping a toaster in, in a bathtub. You know. It's I like guess you're right. It's like guaranteed death. I guess you're right, but then that wouldn't let him flamethrow. But that and that's perfectly fine because I'm entirely happy with that. I liked at the end when when he's talking to Jay Sebring and he just ta- says it all nonchalantly. He's like, "Yeah, I had fl- I had the flamethrower from a previous movie. I j- I burnt it to a crisp." He just says then, it so and nonchalantly. Then, and then, then JC's <laughs> like, "Oh yeah, fourteenth this of McCluskey." And McCluskey. I can't believe, I can't remember McCluskey for some reason. But he's like, yeah, Fourteenth Fist of McCluskey. He's like, oh, you saw that movie? He's like, yeah, dude, I love that movie. <laughs> the that's you know actually that's an that's another thing I like. So so when the the four Manson cult members are in the car uh, yeah. after after um, Rick yells at them to get off off the street and they kind of go down the street, they recognize Rick. And they're yeah. like, and they're like, wasn't that Rick Dalton? And he's like, who? The guy who just yelled at us. That was Rick Dalton. Yeah, that was Rick Dalton. They kind of have like a little starstruck moment about Rick. And then the girl in the back, she she's like, who's Rick Dalton? You don't know who Rick Dalton is. It was, yeah, and it was a great, it was a great little moment. What, I also want to know what happened to the girl that ran away. Oh yeah, me too. Me too. I. I didn't. I should have. I, mean, I should have known that was gonna happen, though. I don't know why I didn't know. I kind of knew that was gonna happen, but I guess like she saved herself from being mauled to death by the dog. True, Brandy. Brandy saved the day, man. Brandy the dog saved the day. Oh my gosh! I don't even know if that was like that. Even like when it showed the dog eating the people, was that even like an actor dog, or was that like a puppet or something? Because that was. I imagine it was probably a little bit of both. 
Yeah. Because Tarantino likes his practical effects. That's, yeah, that's probably that's probably a real dog. But the dog chomping on that dude's testicles. Now that that was probably. A well, dog. if you if you notice though, when when whenever it, whenever uh or right after the dog, the dog uh latches on to uh the character. It cuts and it never sees. You, it lets you see above uh, their waist. So yeah. I imagine it was probably a stunt guy with an actual dog with a bunch of padding on. So I I think it probably was kind of real because Tarantino doesn't like doing any uh, doing that effect stuff, you know. Yeah. He likes all practical stuff and making it real, which is what helps. Yeah. Yeah, I think that brings us, again, I think that brings us full circle to, like, the I Am Mother episode where we were talking about practical effects as well. But, I mean, it looked real enough. I mean, that was, it was still really cool. Like, that whole scene just had me, like, on the edge of my seat because I totally thought somebody was going to die. And I thought it was going to be the main cast and not any of, like, the cultists. Yeah. So, like, watching watching them all die was just, like, it, it felt like a Tarantino movie. So, is there a part of you that wanted to see uh, them break into Sharon Tate's house and uh, fight her? Honestly, I wasn't even, like, when I was watching the movie, that didn't even cross my mind. Because, like, I knew Sharon Tate was the one that was supposed to die. And what I kind of thought happened was I kind of thought that they would go to Sharon Tate's house. But once they were like, wait, that's Rick Dalton. We should kill Rick Dalton. And then I was like, oh, this is what's happening in this reality. Yeah. I... I don't know, I, li- I kind of liked, uh... I liked, uh, the... I liked the story change to Rick and Cliff. I know a lot of people are having a problem with that, but I, I kind of liked it. Um, but I don't see the issue. It's a movie. Right. You know? Right, and you can do whatever you want in your movies. It's like it's not like he was making fun of Sharon Tate. He was like, "Oh, well, in my movie, Sharon Tate doesn't die." Yeah, in fact, he was giving he was giving her kind of the the ending she deserved, in a way. Yeah, but yeah, and it's like, and then Rick Dalton just kind of went over and hung out because the because it's like he was talking to the guy, and then Sharon Tate comes out and she's like, "Hey, who's at the door?" And he's like, "Oh, it's." Rick Dalton, your next door neighbor. She's like, "You want to get a beer?" And he's like, <laughs> "Yeah, you yeah. want to come up for a drink?" Sure, and he's like, not? "Yeah, why not?" <laughs> and it just goes up and then, there. And then you know, and I think that's a fine way for it to end. I just think that with all the action that they had before, I feel like we should have at least gotten like, you know, some kind of follow up, like what, like if Cliff, you know, Cliff had like the knife stuck in his pelvis, on his hip. Yeah. So it's like, I wanted to see what happened to Cliff. I wanted to see if Cliff and, you know, Rick would be okay. I mean, what happened to Francesca and the dog, you know? I think I think the the fact that the name is Once Upon a Time, I think that means that everyone gets a happy ending, you know? Because it gives it kind of a fairy tale-like uh, sound, you know? Uh, yeah, it almost kind of, like, now that you think about it, it almost kind of feels like a fairy tale. Yeah, like, I, th- I think that, that I think like he was structured. definitely going for that, you know. I he he really he really wanted it to feel like like a fairy tale 
like not not just alternate history but you know what could have been and what should have been you know yeah yeah no i totally get that the i i just would love to see everything that was cut out you know because there's it's funny if if you if you paid attention to the credits at the end there are there's a bunch of actors in there and then parentheses cut and yeah and that's like the that's like um what happened with like the four-hour movie you know yeah because i remember the when it right before it was supposed to premiere at con they said it was four and a half hours and that was and the runtime. Yeah, he cut it to just under three hours. And I feel like, I feel like maybe in there, in that extra hour and forty minutes, is where that that missing chunk that you feel like you're feeling is missing. I feel like maybe it's in there. Yeah, and it kind of sucks because I don't think we're really gonna get like a director's cut version of the movie because tarantino doesn't do that yeah he really doesn't i wish i wish he would for this though i i hope he considers doing it for this because i would love to see because even in the trailers there's a bunch of stuff in the trailers that isn't even in the movie yeah and i think that uh i think that like for his penultimate movie part of me thinks that it's okay that this movie is the penultimate movie you know, like, not a lot of people really liked it, but the people that did like it enjoyed it for completely different reasons than what Tarantino normally does. So that means that if Tarantino's going to do something that he normally does for his last movie, then it's going to be objectively better than the last one for those kinds of people, therefore making his final movie maybe almost his best movie. I feel like this was his most mature movie because... Oh, yeah. He he restrained himself for two hours, for a little over two hours, from his violence that usually goes throughout his entire film. He just restrained himself, and he just explored his characters. And then he let loose on his Tarantinoisms for the last 30 minutes. But he really restrained himself, and it felt very different, and it felt like, it felt like he looked at his character he felt like he looked at his entire career and said i want to do something different this time yeah and i can respect him for that you know it's like tarantino's movies don't always have to be blood and guts and violence and no you know the the n-word you know, <laughs> it, it proves that tarantino can make a movie that is you know mature and just all around just still a good film and I, you know there's some you know it may not be what people wanted from a tarantino movie but i feel like the movie on its own merits is still a really good movie and it deserves it deserves that you know all the praise that it should be getting i agree the only thing the only gripe i have about this movie is there really isn't anything that memorable from it oh yeah. aside from sharon tate not dying um, well, yeah, that and the final scene, but that's just normal Tarantino, so that, I guess that technically doesn't even count, does it? Yeah, so, like, you know, when you think of his his career, I know he, you haven't seen everything, but I'm sure when, you, when people name something off, you go, oh, yeah, I've heard that. Like, 
the stuck in the middle with you scene, the torture scene from Reservoir Dogs. I know you've seen the scene. You haven't seen the movie, but you've seen that scene. You yeah. know, uh, the Samuel Jackson's monologue from Pulp Fiction, uh, the robbery in Jackie Brown, uh, almost everything in Kill Bill, um, the the stunt scene in Death Proof, the opening scene of Inglorious Bastards. The shootout Django Unchained, and then uh, the vomit scene in Hateful Eight and the hanging scene in Hateful Eight. But this movie didn't have anything memorable. You know, it didn't have anything iconic, which usually comes from his movies. It didn't have any memorable lines, really. It didn't have any. I feel like I feel like it had some memorable bits at least. Uh, aside from the final scene, I feel like the thing that I remember the most is Rick Dalton yelling at himself in his trailer. I mean. When I say memorable, I think I, I mean like stuff people will talk about ten years from now. Mm. Like when someone's like when someone says the torture scene from Reservoir Dogs, we all know what you're talking about. When someone says when someone uh, when someone recites the monologue from Pulp Fiction, we immediately know where it's coming from. So. I feel like this movie was lacking in that department. It didn't it didn't have a lot of it didn't have any memorable lines, you know. I can't say a line from that movie and someone will go, "Hey, once upon a time in Hollywood." Right? Yeah. This movie the most memorable thing was, "Oh, that's the movie where Sharon Tate lives," right? Yeah. But not to say that it's a bad film because of that cuz it's not. It's a great film. But I just wish there was something more memorable. And clearly he just wasn't wasn't going for that. Maybe people will remember, oh, this is the one where Bruce Lee got his butt kicked, right? Yeah. But I don't know, maybe I'll it'll change when I see it a second time, but I just wish there was more more of that I also wish there was more of that razor sharp dialogue. Cause there wasn't too much of that yeah. either. Yeah, I mean, kind of thinking back on the movie, there really isn't, like, a lot to talk about except for a couple select scenes in the movie. Like you said earlier, the movie is kind of just about nothing. Which is clearly what he wanted. You know, he clearly wanted it to be a reflection piece. You know? Yeah. He wanted it to be a reflection piece about the film industry, which in turn almost makes it feel like it was a movie for people in the film industry. And I mean, I kind of saw some of the beginning as a bit of like a reflection on Tarantino himself, you know, because it's almost like some of the movies that Rick Dalton starred in were almost like parodies of movies that Tarantino had made, like uh, the 14 fifths of, you know, McCluskey. Yeah. Kind of like a McCluskey. kind of like a little parody of Inglorious Bastards. Right. And then Bounty Law is kind of like Django Unchained and Hateful Eight a little bit. Well, Bounty Law is more kind of like Bonanza and Gunsmoke. It's more of it's more of a little ripoff of that. But um, well, yeah, but I'm I'm thinking about it as in like genre based kind of stuff. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I can see what you're saying. I mean, I guess even that scene that Rick Dalton did with the little girl, like that was kind of around the hateful eight kind of thing 
you know, it's tense, it's dialogue heavy, and he's throwing a girl around, so. Yeah, I guess I could see that. I mean, I'm not saying that that's like what it is, but it, that's, I guess that's the kind of thing that I pulled from that section of the film. That's 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 a fair assessment, I guess. Um, I do think I do think he he kind of jabs at himself in this film a bit. How so? Well, kind of like what kind of like what you said, like like with the fourteen fifths of McCluskey, you know. The He's kind of making like an over-the-top version of Inglorious Bastards with, uh, you know, Leo running out and did anyone order fried sauerkraut? And then torching everyone, and that's kind of like a little rip on Inglorious Bastards when in the end everyone dies from a fire. Mm. You know, and yeah, and then the movie opens up basically with a Wilhelm scream, like we said earlier, which he likes to use a lot in his movies. So I, yeah. I feel like there are a lot of little moments that jabbed at his own little, at, at his own career. And I mean, that's, Hey, a, a filmmaker that can look at himself and laugh is, is a good one, right? Yeah. I agree with that. So I think, I think he looked at his career and said, okay, I did this. I want to do something different. And while I'm doing something different, why don't I jab at my own work? Because not only that, the the fact that it isn't so bloody and so action-packed and so fast-paced for the first two-plus hours is a testament to the fact that he knows he's doing something different because even though like the hateful eight is three hours it doesn't feel like it same with Django Unchained or any other movie he's made and this doesn't necessarily feel like three hours but it's certainly very very slow yeah so I and I liked the slowness of it, but he's it certainly seemed like he like he said to himself, "I want something really slow this time." And I think I think he pulled it off with that. Yeah, I agree with that. I think he pulled it off. It's hard for me to be invested in movies that take forever to get started. So watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and seeing that as and being interested in the movie. And actually, you know, being invested in the characters is, you know, it takes a it takes a lot for a movie to get keep me invested. And I think, you know, even though Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was slow, the fact that I could still sit in my seat and I did not feel like I had to get up at any point during that movie, you know, made me feel like I had. A, I mean, I don't know. That's just I, like you said. That's a testament. Yeah, I I feel like I got my money's worth, which is more than I can say for most movies these days, you know? Yeah, there is something that I did want to mention that I didn't mention earlier. Um, the thing that I liked about the characters for this movie is that they didn't fe- it didn't feel like they were playing a role. 
when I watch a movie, for instance, when I watch a movie that has Nick Cage in it, I don't see Nick Cage as the character. I just see it as, oh, that's just Nick Cage doing, you know, movie stuff. When I watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you know, even with Brad Pitt and DiCaprio's track record, you saw Rick and like Cliff. I saw Rick and Cliff. I didn't see DiCaprio and Brad Pitt playing roles. I saw them as their characters, and I think, and that's like. It's hard for movies to do that with big names like that. And then when I was talking to my friend, he said that's the fun part about watching indie movies is because you don't see these actors as just actors. You see them as characters because you haven't seen them anywhere else. Yeah, I uh, I, I agree with that. That's that's part of the reason why I, I kind of have now preferred the indie scene for movies. But um, I feel – I saw an interview with, with Tarantino – where he was talking about movie these movies these days and what what kind of prohibits them from being you know classics now and he said something interesting to me and it's it ties into what you're saying it's that the actors don't care about their performances too much anymore they go in they get their paycheck they do their job they go home like any other job but he says yeah. when he's on set, he doesn't care about that. He wants to push and push and push and push his actors so they give that best performance, you know. And that's that's also what, you know, gave him the inspiration for Rick. Because he wrote the character of Rick Dalton with Leonardo DiCaprio in mind. And uh, he he said that he really wanted to make this movie different from everything else coming out right now because he wanted those performances, you know? And I, and because of that, I agree with you. I, I saw Rick and Cliff. I didn't see Leo and Brad. I saw Rick and Cliff, and I loved every moment of it. I felt, I felt their character. Like, even when, when, uh, you know, Rick had his little moments and he starts sobbing for like two seconds but then clears it up all of a sudden. I felt for him, you know? Even yeah. though I felt for him. Usually it's it's hard to make me care for a character that's in the film industry as an actor and has earned so much money but blown it all away. It's hard to get you to empathize with a character like that. But yeah, he did it. Yeah. What do you what do you think it's fair to call Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? almost like a meta movie yes i would say that's very fair to call it very meta because it's it's definitely it's definitely so it's about this actor right who who was on a show called bounty law which is let's face it it's his version of bonanza and Gunsmoke, and when you when you watch him act in it it's that over the top acting right yeah it's 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 leo as rick as the character in the movie which is meta in itself um and he does the oldie time acting where you're squinting you know you're talking really loud and you're overly dramatic so i think it would be a fair assessment to call to call this movie meta because it knows what it's poking at wouldn't you say so yeah I, I definitely agree with that it's meta until the point where it's not right that's how i see it yeah 
That, yeah, that's definitely how I could see it as well. And that's that's what made me love the film because it's it's meta until it's not. Whereas usually it's one or the other. Yeah. That's what made me love his, his the scene of him screwing up his lines so much, because you see, you see Leo acting as Rick, acting as the guy on Lancer, until he has to stop acting like the guy on Lancer to act like Rick to act as Leo. It's almost like he's building. It's almost like Tarantino's building up three different people, and then tearing down those three people in the same scene. You kind of get what I'm saying. This is gonna sound really corny. Yeah, this is gonna sound really corny. But don't you think that it's like an a form of like actor inception? Yes, I don't think that's corny at all. I think that you're absolutely right. Because it's like. I was gonna say it's corny because Leo Leonardo DiCaprio was. Also oh yeah, he in was an inception. inception. You're right. You're he was right. Character in Inception. Yeah, you're right. I didn't even I didn't even think of that. I didn't put that together. Isn't it crazy though that the phrase like that the the com our common use of the word Inception stemmed from the movie by the same name? Because it because everything turns into a meme now. Yeah, you're right. So uh, that was that was Rickception. It was Rickception, and it's what made the is there, scene is great. There any other, is there any other points that we want to hit with this movie? I, I don't really know what else I have to say about it right now. I feel like the I feel like there's something, but I can't I can't. Oh, what did you think of the scene when they're watching when Rick and Cliff are watching uh, Rick on FBI? And basically, you're just watching them watch the show. I thought that that was a fun scene. I think I think it's I think it brings you into. It felt like the same experience of like when you and I would watch one of our stuff. Yeah, it did. Except you're you're watching them do it though. The yeah, but the the like the acting in that scene is so it, it feels so genuine. It's almost like, and since you already got to know these characters, you it feels like you're there with them watching the watching FBI, even though FBI is a show that's already that doesn't exist. I think I think FBI did exist at one time, but it wasn't as long running as Once Upon a Time made it seem like it was. I think it well, was. Yeah, but I mean, like Tarantino's version of FBI. Yeah, yeah. I um. That it almost felt like I was watching a reaction YouTube video. Yeah, I totally could see that. It it felt it felt like a jab at everyone who reacts to themselves. Because it they're you're watching these people and and they're talking, they're just talking randomly and then Rick goes, "Oh look, here's 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 my scene. I'm about to be up." And then and then they just talk through the whole thing. Like, they're barely even watching it. Yeah, and I mean, like, it's also kind of interesting because you, you're at this point in Rick's career where Rick is not as prevalent as he used to be. So, you know, you don't know how good of a job he's doing. But to him, he's, like, selling you his performance while you're watching the scene itself. Almost right. like he's insecure about his performance. Oh, I'm. I think he's very insecure about his performance. I think that's part of the big driving force of his character, because he 
you know, when he first meets, I forgot his name, but Al Pacino. When he first talks to Al Pacino in the beginning of the movie, Al Pacino tells him, you know, you're a great actor, but they're not cherishing you. You're you're getting too old. This is and this is what they do to older actors, you know. They have them play the villain, right? Because they so that they can phase you out to introduce the new generation, and it's be and because of that, you you can see Rick take that to heart to his performance, not to his age. And you can yeah. see him really try and get get back to having such a good performance rather than realizing it's his age. It's not necessarily the work he's putting out. Speaking of performance um, scenes like that, what do you think about the scene between Rick and the little girl? Which one? The first scene. when he, The one when where... He's kind of sitting there talking. And she's reading the book? Yeah. I thought that was I thought it was kind of sweet because he he walks up and then here's this little girl taking her part very seriously you know she wants to be called by her character's name uh, only she doesn't want to be called by her real name to the point where she won't even tell him her real name and Rick's just like I'm Rick and Rick is reading, you know, his Western novel. And she's reading her book on movies. And she's kind of taking it more seriously than Rick. And so you kind of see this like new generation. Reflection. I think it's like a reflection of what Rick used to be. I think it... I think it's... I think it could be a little bit of that, but more, more so I think it's seeing this new generation that is taking their acting way more seriously than they used to cuz like when you when you watch old movies from like the 50s and 60s which is like which is when Rick Dalton was at his high right the 50s and early 60s right yeah there was this method to acting that's different than now right it was more theater like you know the they yeah. would talk really loud. They would be over dramatic. Uh, they would they would do their best to have their uh, have their good side on the camera. So when you see when you see uh, him uh, when you see this new this new young girl actress, she's part of the new generation trying to take her acting seriously. Like she's like I don't I don't even eat an hour before my scene. So that I can have my best performance. Whereas before, they just got they just got up there and they just acted. You know, he's not used to that, and so he's uh, he's just he's trying he's trying to see what is different between him and the new generation. That's what that's what I see it as. Yeah. The it could I it could be a reflection like you you said, but I see it as a as kind of like a divide between the two generations of actors. Yeah, that makes more sense than what I was thinking about it. I think it's a little bit of both, though, don't you think? Yeah, it, it probably is a little bit of both. I, I would say it just speaks to me more the other way about the divide between the actor's generation, though. Yeah. But that, you know, that's that's just my opinion. Um, yeah. So, what do you, what do you think... Um, 
What's your final thoughts for this movie? Final thoughts is that it is not my favorite Tarantino film, but it is probably in my top five of his. I think it was one of the best movies of this year and probably will stay like that. And I could see it staying my top film of the year. I think I think Leo, Brad, Brad and Margot Robbie were perfection. And I think as a story, seeing it, seeing this kind of story from Tarantino gave me just gave me a smile for the whole three hours. So I really enjoyed it and I'd give it a solid I'd give it a solid nine out of ten. Yeah, I, I can kind of agree with you on some points. Was it my favorite film of the year? Yeah, probably. I don't think that there's a movie that I've seen this year that's better than Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I do agree that it's not my favorite Tarantino film. Um, I've only really seen a couple, so it still fits into the top five spot because I haven't seen any more than just um, Pulp Fiction, both the, the Kill Bill movie and um, Hateful Eight. So I've only seen like four movies, including this. Um, I do think that I agree with you. Uh, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio as Rick Dalton, Brad Pitt as Cliff Booth, and Margot Robbie as Sharon Tate were all perfection. Um, I don't think I'd give it a nine though. I think I would probably give it like an eight and a half, like high eights. It's close enough. I, I, uh, I enjoyed the nostalgia too. That's what keeps yeah. it at a nine for me. And might I yeah. might I add I forgot to mention Leonardo DiCaprio gives the best performance of his career. That's the, I, I I I will not change my opinion. I think it would be I think it would have been really funny if uh, he didn't get an Oscar for The Revenant and uh, he ended up getting an Oscar for this movie. He got an Oscar for The Revenant. I said I think it would have been funny if he did. Oh, if he didn't. One. Okay. Because you know how it was kind of a joke that Leonardo DiCaprio, despite being a very good actor, has never won an Oscar? Yeah. And now you can't make that joke anymore because it's The Revenant. Oh, yeah. And they, not only that, they gave it to him for the wrong movie. They didn't, The Revenant was not that good. Anyway, that's for, well, that's for another show, though. Yep. So what, what are we going to watch next, Jake? Do you have any ideas? Hmm. Because I'm feeling like, I'm feeling like, and watching all these good movies, you know, we're sitting here and we're yanking our chains and all that, but I think that I it's think high maybe, time that we. I think maybe we, watch a we really need to bad movie. Yeah, we need we need to destroy ourselves. We need to break ourselves down. I think that's what we need to do. We need to load a gun with bad movie bullets and we need to shoot our brains out. And I think that I have the perfect movie for you. Jake. Oh, do you? Yes. Although you already know what the movie is, and we're all just playing a part. Yeah, we're just doing a little funny. skit. Anyways, there's a movie that I found on Netflix. It's called Swiped, and it looks really, really, really bad. I and want I don't to know, die. I don't know. I don't know anybody in it except Why? for I think one of the characters is a mom, and they're from like a Disney Channel sitcom. So I know I, you don't like Disney, so this will be a treat for you. Oh my god! I think there's a kid on there that was on it. That was a YouTuber at one time too. I think he's a minor character. If I if I'm correct, I looked I looked up a little bit about the movie, 
and I saw it's got like a horrible reviews and I can't wait to rip it to shreds or who knows maybe I'll enjoy it if I enjoy it maybe I should just get out of the film industry well if you I, I'm assuming that if you would enjoy this movie you would enjoy Disney movies but we know you don't like those hey I enjoy so, I enjoyed not another teen movie so I don't know what to think about myself anymore all right well I guess with that go on to Netflix and watch swiped um it's about some kid that makes a dating app yeah it's, a, it's about everything that's wrong with our culture today that that that's that's what it's about so give that a watch and then next week we will talk about that movie that pile of trash so well, we don't know if it's a pile of trash all i know is that it looks really 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 bad <laughs> can can you feel the pain in my voice how about can can our viewers hear the pain in my voice right now i think they can all right well this has been the cake and batter podcast i've been cole and i'm always jake and we will catch you in the next episode see ya